You're about to hear my conversation with our chief economist, Todd Matina. We talk all about modern monetary theory, what it is, some of the benefits of pursuing the theory, some of the downfalls, and how it's been used in the past decade. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Todd Matina, our Chief Economist. Todd, welcome back. Oh, thanks so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast again. I've invited you back to talk specifically about modern monetary theory. Uh, and maybe before we get into uh, some of the more conversations, we can level set. What is modern monetary theory? And we'll refer to it as MMT throughout the podcast. Yeah, sure. And uh, very topical question. You know, MMT is a very controversial view in macroeconomics today. But one that's actually getting increasingly popular with a lot of key policymakers, especially on the progressive side of the aisle in Congress and in the U.S. and, and other populace. Um, so just, you know, level setting, what, what is MMT all about? And um, just as some of the key tenants, you know, if you think about uh, the different sort of major actors in, the, in an economy, um, households, private businesses, they they undertake borrowing all the time and when they borrow from a bank or a, or a private lender or if they issue corporate bonds they need to be repaid and if they can't be repaid uh they'd be declared insolvent and and they would lose their assets but governments are really special in the economy because the um unlike the private sector governments that are have control of their own national currency can issue debt in their own national currency really don't face that same kind of problem. They can always go to their local central bank and say, look, you uh, you need to issue currency and purchase this government bond. And in that way, they can avoid sovereign default. So um, MMT has taken that sort of simple idea and, and pushed it to the limit and said, well, if this is the case, then maybe our, today's focus on national debt and budget deficits, government budget deficits, is really not required. In fact, the way an MMT advocate would think about the problem is that governments should borrow from their central banks to the point that they push enough demand into the economy to bring an economy to full employment or full productive capacity. Uh, so it really changes the entire relationship. The central bank now basically prints money in order to finance additional government spending to provide that additional boost in demand. So that's really a key differentiating idea. And you can imagine why many um, advocates and, and policymakers who are looking for a more active government look to this macro theory as, as potential justification for um, a, a larger role for the state that can be one, bring the economy to full employment, and that can also be used uh, in conjunction with the central banks to make it sustainable. Right. Um well, that certainly sounds like admirable goals, uh, bringing uh, full employment, uh, to be sure. Um, you know, simplistically, when I think about the idea of uh, governments issuing, call it very high amounts of debt, and then having central banks uh, print money, it sounds a bit like a banana republic, we're going to have hyperinflation, all of that sort of thing. Uh, is that, you know, how do 
people who subscribe to MMT deal with that uh, criticism. Yeah, and I think this is what the mainstream economic community push back on those advocates of MMT. I mean, this is something that is a game we've seen played many times around the world in many different geographies. Um, you know, we've seen hyperinflations in South America. I used to work at the International Monetary Fund. I worked on many developing countries where central banks actively provide credit to the central government, which finances government spending. Well, that's effectively what MMT is all about. You know, gov central bank credit to the government is another way of saying printing money, which is used to uh, finance government spending. So inflation is the key downside to this kind of whole approach. Now, advocates of MMT push back and say, well, you know, I, and I think they have the last 10 years of economic history in mind. After the 2008 global financial crisis, growth globally was very sluggish. Unemployment rates stayed sort of persistently high, took a long time to come back down after the 2008 crisis. Interest rates were very low and inflation was very low. Right. So their view was, well, there's a lot of, of unused capacity in the global economy, a, a lot of slack labor resources that, you know, people looking for jobs that couldn't find it. So, well, so the inflation risk really isn't something we should be so worried about. And second, if we did start to see inflation, you know, build up, the solution would be for the government to raise taxes, kind of like a dial to try to, you know, weaken demand in the economy and bring inflationary pressures back. So this is kind of the MMT response to this kind of very standard concern, which I think is a very legitimate concern that MMT can very quickly lead to runaway inflation. Great. And and to your point, I mean, the last 10 years of, of economic history um, have been characterized by slow growth, uh, low inflation. Uh, certainly the response to uh, the COVID uh, recession uh, or pandemic um, was a, another example of uh, uh, printing presses going into overdrive and fiscal stimulus coming to, to bear, largely uh, financed by central banks. Uh, so are we seeing effectively a policy response that is a real-time MMT experiment right now? You know, it certainly rhymes. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between what the advocates of MMT uh, would like to pursue and what we sort of happen, almost we a real-time experiment in MMT over the last couple of years. Uh, when, when COVID first struck in 2020 and we had the most severe economic downturn on record, I mean, since the 1930s. Uh, it was an all-out emergency policy response. Uh, we saw government budget deficits around the world just balloon to, to levels that were really unprecedented, uh, except in wartime, uh, providing income transfers and backstops to business and so on. And central banks got involved as well, of course. They slashed interest rates to zero, but importantly, they many of the major central banks, including the Bank of Canada and, and the Federal Reserve in the U.S., started directly purchasing government bonds uh, in large volumes. And if you look at the data, um, the US Federal Reserve, for example, purchased roughly half of the increase in new treasury notes and bond issuance in the US. This is like trillions of dollars of basically monetary financing of this budget deficit. So in that sense, it certainly rhymes with the tenets of, of MMT in, in the sense of the central bank providing monetary financing to the government to pursue uh, increased spending. And we have also, interestingly enough, seen increased inflationary pressures this year. Sure. Um, 
there's various explanations for that, but part of it is the very strong boost in demand. This is an, an interesting recession, if you want to call it that, where personal incomes actually rose through this on in aggregate, the personal incomes actually rose through this recession because of the very aggressive fiscal policy response and a very aggressive central bank response. So in some sense, this is very much an example of MMT, but I would also argue it differs in important ways. Well, maybe we can get into some of those differences then. Because, um, I mean, from my seat, when I take a look at the policy response, uh, I think largely or, or a lot of people would characterize it as, as appropriate, at least in the early days of uh, the pandemic. Uh, people weren't allowed to go work, earn a living. Uh, having government support at that point in time makes a lot of sense. So what are, uh, I guess, how does this differ from the traditional MMT response? And then also maybe touch on some of the risks that uh, that these type of response uh, have in the future. Sure. So, you know, it differs in, in one very important way is that this was an emergency response to a very severe recession. Uh, the deepest recession, the most abrupt decline we've seen in, you know, since the 30s, as we were saying. So, there was an incredible amount of slack capacity and resources in the economy. Uh, so when the central bank was monetizing these big budget deficits and adding demand into the economy, it was doing so from a position of a lot of slack in the economy. So the inflationary response, in fact, we saw in, in the immediate aftermath in 2020, there was deflationary pressures, sure. not inflationary pressures. So, and then to your, something you mentioned, which I think is really important to say, this was a fully appropriate response from central banks and the government. It was obviously a full out emergency. Um, so it's really now, you know, you fast forward to current period where we're seeing more inflationary pressures and, and the labor market is healing. And um, it seems like, you know, we're, we're starting to recover more, more broadly in the global economy. So how does it differ uh, from the traditional MMT response? Well, the main thing is that we don't intend to keep doing this. So an MMT advocate would say this policy of enormous central bank financing of high levels of government spending should be the norm, not sort of the emergency response. And we're seeing the, the exact opposite play out. Central banks are, we saw the, the Federal Reserve announced just yesterday that they're going to start tapering. Mm -hmm. The huge amount of asset purchases they do every month, the Bank of Canada has announced the same. And uh, markets are now pricing in significant interest rate hikes uh, heading into 2022. So we're seeing central banks step back from that very aggressive role of providing monetary financing to dialing it back, tapering the amount of bonds they buy. And ultimately, I would expect um, this may happen very gradually over a number of years, but starting to reduce their balance sheets by either not refinancing those government bonds. So when they come due, they don't sort of refinance them and repurchase them. They allow, it forces basically the government to refinance it into the private sector. Someone will, from the private sector will have to replace the central bank as financing the government. Right. So it's going from an emergency response to basically unwinding that emergency response and going back to the way things were pre-pandemic. Uh, MMT advocates would say the exact opposite, that we should be maintaining aggressive amounts of stimulus to, to push the economy into a full recovery and, and maintain a sort of uh, full employment economy. So running hot, basically. Um, so I think those are the, 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 the really big difference between traditional, if you want to call it that, traditional MMT and 
and sort of what we're experiencing today. But what, you know, the real-time experiment with the, the policy response in the pandemic certainly rhymes a lot closely with, with MMT. Um, there were, I think you were asking as well about, you know, what are some of the risks? Yeah. And that's, that's a, a really great question. And, you know, some of the big risks with this is, uh, well, first, central bank independence. You know, this was a hard-won victory. Central banks and in developed, uh, advanced economies have, you know, really since the early '90s, worked very hard on their inflation targeting frameworks to uh, make their two percent inflation targets uh, credible to investors, to labor, to companies who are setting prices. And by far and large, they won an enormous amount of credibility by acting independently and not being sort of dominated by the government in terms of what the government would like in terms of their own financing needs. They provided the right interest rate and liquidity in the economy to based on where we were in the business cycle, not based on government financing. And because of that, the inflation objectives were largely credible. Um, you can see it when you look at inflation-linked bonds and swap pricing, inflation-linked swaps. That markets, by, you know, of course, it ebbed and flow over time, but by far and large, central banks look credible. Now, suddenly, if we did MMT, central banks are really just a financing tool for the government. Um, a serious risk is that the credibility of the currency would be called into question. You know, we, we mentioned that one of the key tenets of MMT is you need to be a, a, an advanced economy that you can issue debt, the government can issue debt in its own currency. And emerging markets, uh, many emerging markets, and especially lower income developing countries don't have that luxury. And one of the reasons is their currencies are not credible because they've had this repeated problem of central bank financing of government deficits. So exactly the MMT response. So the big risk is that advanced economies lose that privilege or that luxury of being able to finance in their own currency if they if they weaken its its credibility as a, um, being able to maintain stable prices over time. Right. So the the I guess the two big risks are one inflationary, which would be a symptom, call it, of, of too much uh, uh, money printing. And then the yeah. other is the credibility of the central banks and therefore destabilization of currencies. Uh, yeah. That's fair. Absolutely. I think that's a good summary. Um, and I, I guess to reflect on uh, the earlier question about it being an experiment in real time uh, and MMT and, and, you know, is there something that central bankers or policymakers have learned uh, in the sense that, you know, I think we, we both have suggested that the response to the COVID pandemic was appropriate um, and certainly larger than what we've seen historically. Um, you know, do you think that there's a, a learning that there is elements of MMT that can be applied in an appropriate manner, or do you fear that the, the learnings are going to be overstated and that they're going to be extended by uh, different politicians who would love nothing more than to have unlimited budgets effectively to do what they'd like with? There's been a lot uh, that economists and policymakers, I think, have learned in the last decade, really, since 2008, all the way through the pandemic. I mean, one of the lessons learned from, if I can go back a bit earlier, even like from 2008, uh, central banks and governments responded aggressively to that financial crisis. But they learned by a decade of sluggish kind of response uh, in terms of economic activity and employment, um, low productivity, that they didn't do enough. 
And at the time, 2008, what they seemed, what they, what they were doing seemed very dramatic and it was highly controversial. I remember the TARP legislation in Congress failed the first time. And in hindsight, those numbers look small compared to what we just did in 2020. So, and 2021. So I think there was a lot of learning by policymakers that when you're in that kind of deep crisis, you need to act big and, um, and then, you know, it won't unleash hyperinflation. Uh, we also had rounds, we had waves of quantitative easing or, or central bank purchases of assets through the 2010s. There was QE1, 2, 3, there was Operation Twist, there was all kinds of unconventional monetary policy. And we learned a lot that those things didn't sort of unleash inflation like a lot of economists had worried about. Um, and in 2020, those lessons were put to good work because uh, central banks were not afraid to go in big. They, like, if you look at what the Fed did, purchasing trillions of dollars in a very short period of time, just a few months, really, uh, of government debt, um, that was an essential learning that helped stabilize the treasury market and global debt markets. It helped stabilize government financing. Uh, governments responded aggressively with just, I, I never thought I would see government budget deficits widen like that in peacetime. So, um, I think there was a lot that was learned in the last decade and in a way very well learned and put to good use in 2020. Um, now to your question about, you know, maybe looking ahead, what have we learned about sort of central banking responses going forward? You know, central banks, I think have also learned that, um, you know, it, we're, we're in a situation where, um, it's very difficult uh, for central banks to continue being effective in the sense that interest rates are at zero. Right. Um, if we were to be hit tomorrow by another major crisis, there's not a lot of additional work that central banks can do, at least on the interest rate side. They've hit the lower bound. Uh, they can go a little negative, but so far we haven't seen any major central bank go deeply negative. Uh, ECB a little bit and, and some other banks, but on the, the only tool they really have left is, is to print money through quantitative easing. That can help stabilize financial markets uh, and possibly help finance government budget deficits. But their effectiveness is, is really um, going to be an issue if we continue in this, uh, if we continue with this very lower for longer interest rate environment. I think that Part of that learning has been put to work. They, um, if you look at the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada is currently considering its um, inflation control and inflation management framework, rather than focusing on achieving 2% inflation at any point in time with, with a band around it, trying to achieve sort of average inflation over a cycle, um, average inflation targeting has really been the learning and it's been already adopted by the Fed with this idea that we can afford to wait now. We'll let inflation catch up, so to speak, from the very low levels we've had in recent, well, actually basically all decade. Right. And if, in, if inflation can overshoot 2% for a period of time to bring average inflation to 2%, then the central bank can respond more gradually and slowly. And that might actually, if it's calibrated right, can lead to a better outcome. Um, so that's I guess the next innovation in central banking, we haven't actually seen that play out yet. Uh, we'll see that in the next year or two to see if that works. Um, one potential downside with the approach is late 20, let's, 
Uh, I'm in the camp that inflation is likely to moderate into 2022. Yep. A lot of this is driven by supply um, supply chain issues and so on. But if we're wrong and inflation's persistent, and um, you know we're looking like we're moving well above two percent for a sustained period. The problem with this framework is a central bank will have to slam the brakes at some point and raise rates very abruptly. Right. Um, so that's the downside is that um, that's always a risk. And that could happen later in 2022 or even 2023 if central banks um, are wrong, that this isn't transitory. I, I think they're right, actually, but there's always a risk that they're wrong. Right. So I guess it's the, the balancing of that that risk of uh, transitory or persistent uh, inflation, um, along with the admirable goals of uh, trying to seek full employment and, and ensure that the economy does recover over uh, over a long period with re- fairly robust go- uh, growth, uh, is the new paradigm. Is that what you're saying, effectively? Yeah, it sounds. That's it. That's it exactly. And and just to put to rest, I guess MMT in general, um, it it sounds as though although it was inspired, call it uh, the the pandemic response. Uh, some of the more recent actions suggest that it hasn't taken uh, complete uh, grip of central bank or or uh, fiscal policy. Um, we still hear some politicians uh, that advocate for it. I think of Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think uh, um, uh, Stephanie Kelton, who's a big proponent of MMT, uh, was advising that campaign. Um, you, you know what? Do you, do you see that that is a um, a movement that can overtake our traditional institutions, and is it a risk that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, I think it's a huge risk. Um, and I, and I guess the main it's interesting. We associate MMT with those progressive forces right now: uh, Bernie Sanders, AOC, um, and these kinds of uh, folks who are looking for a, a big expansion, a more activist state in terms of stabilizing incomes, creating employment, a Green New Deal, all admirable and important social goals, but using this idea of MMT and central bank financing to implement, to finance it. And it's certainly a risk because the if implemented uh, in this way, if it were to ever sort of catch on and become um, a more enduring kind of policy framework that was adopted, not just for an emergency, but more on a, a sustained basis, I think uh, almost surely we would see much more inflationary risk. Um, but you know what's interesting, and this isn't often discussed, but there's nothing inherently progressive or left-wing or right-wing about MMT. All it's saying is that government spending can be financed by central banks and with the goal of bringing the economy to full employment. Now, for, there's no reason a, a populist who leans right couldn't use the exact same arguments for their favorite spending initiatives as well. It could be for defense spending or whatever you know they may they may like to spend money on. So it so far has been really caught up or associated with the progressive wing, but I could equally see this being po- becoming popular at some stage of the game with more right wing populists, for example. And we've seen this in other countries around the world where populists on both both sides of the political aisle have looked to the central bank to finance their favorite favorite spending priorities. Um, So I do feel like um, there are risks that this becomes more more of an established idea in policy circles. Fortunately, I think many of the mainstream economists out there that advise 
you know, the leading parties, I'm thinking in the U.S. for the moment, sure. have been very strongly and vocal against this idea. You see it frequently written in opinion pieces. Even Paul Krugman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, who's uh, famously writes well-read pieces in the New York Times and advises Democratic politicians, has come out very fervently against MMT, saying, look, some moderate uh, use of central bank money printing may be fine, but to do it in the scale that advocates of MMT are talking about would very quickly undermine the U.S. dollar and confidence in the currency. So, um, so even even for economists sort of left of center, uh, like Paul Krugman, they are vehemently against this concept. So I. It's the one thing that gives me hope is that the policy advisors to those kinds of uh, political forces are hopefully hearing the advice and getting good advice that this is maybe not a great idea to pursue. Perfect, Todd. Uh, let's leave it there. Very educational, thoughtful. I uh, appreciate your time and expertise. Always great to have you on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 